This message comes from NPR sponsor Wix eCommerce, the professional platform that enables entrepreneurs all over the world to create and run their online store and grow their e-commerce business. If you want to sell online, make sure you stand out. Go to Wix eCommerce and create an online store that will grab shoppers' attention. Build a state-of-the-art storefront, showcase your product with striking product pages, and sell subscriptions. Go global and display prices in local currencies. Boost your sales by offering instant coupons using the live chat. Streamline your checkout process with automated shipping fees and sales tax calculation. Manage your inventory and track your sales from one convenient dashboard. Analyze your comprehensive sales and traffic reports. Check out these and more must-have e-commerce features for sellers who mean business. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide with Wix e-commerce. This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay, and I'm joined with the CEO of Trend, my co-host, Ramon. We've got two great guests with us today, Troy Osinoff and Mike Lisovetsky, who are the co-founders of Juice, an integrated digital marketing agency. Uh, They work on a lot of uh, direct-to-consumer companies and do a lot of marketing-related things. So excited to have both of these guys on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about D2C a lot, uh, a couple of different things on entrepreneurship and a, a bunch of stuff. Both of these guys have a lot of experience building, growing, selling companies. So excited to chat. Um, but before we dive in, I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic to both of you if you want to give a uh, quick little intro and uh, tell us a little bit more about Juice as well. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This is Troy. I'll give a quick background of myself um, and Mike can do the same and we can dive in from there. Yeah. I, uh, I've been building sites since I was about nine years old. I had my first real startup when I was about 19 in college called makeagift.com, which is one of the first sites to combine multiple images into GIFs. Um, if you use Twitter or Reddit, you probably see the little watermark. After that site was built up, it got acquired. And from there, I invested in a recording studio up, uh, uptown in New York City, uh, working with artists like Drake, Kendrick Lamar, Yo-Yo Ma, Beyonce, went on to win a few Grammys. And uh, actually found the bankrupt shoe factory in midtown Manhattan, which is the only shoe factory in New York City. Um, and they overextended themselves into wholesale. So we uh, killed the wholesale side. I found them out of bankruptcy and we went direct to consumer only. And to this day, they're still profitable, still in New York City and still the only shoe factory there. While I was doing that, I also had a viral Tumblr that uh, got the attention of Penguin to publish a book with them. Uh, and then I actually sold the rights to that to John Krasinski and Fox. From there, I went on to got an offer to lead digital marketing for the world's largest HVAC distributor, like heating and air conditioning, doing $5 billion a year in sales, helped oversee that, digitize, modernize all their CRMs, processes for marketing and all that fun stuff. But while I was there, I also just started running a bunch of different side projects. So a buddy, Kevin Meist, launched Pokematch, which is like the first uh, Pokemon Go dating app with over 300,000 active users on it. We also, another friend of mine and I launched the first iPhone 7 case with a headphone jack built in. 
After Apple removed the headphone jack, we, we decided to put it back in and do a Kickstarter around it. Uh, launched a bunch of e- uh, dropshipping e-commerce stores and got the attention of BuzzFeed. So actually left uh, the job I was doing down in, down here in uh, Florida, in Watsco, the company's called, in HVAC, and went up to New York City and led uh, uh, customer acquisition for BuzzFeed, turning their brands like Tasty, the number one cookbook in the world in 2017, and candle companies like Homesick, and a bunch of different partnerships like 3M, Lego, Walmart, etc., and uh, while I was at BuzzFeed, Michael and I were chatting on a, pretty much a daily basis about what we wanted to do next. We weren't quite sure what we wanted to do, but we really never truly liked our agency experience. And we wanted to come together uh, and build an agency around all the ideas and uh, processes we've built out over the years for our own companies and apply it to clients. Because we never really found an agency that applies kind of out-of-the-box thinking versus everyone doing the same cookie-cutter approach and expecting different results. So we just kept getting message for consulting and it just made sense. Like no one's doing this. Let's jump in and do it. And I'll let Mike talk about his background as well. Thanks, Troy. Hey, everyone. Hey, Jay. Hey, Ramon. Uh, my name is Michael Wisavetsky and I've been starting companies since pretty much forever. So I started my first company when I was 14. It was a web hosting company. So I had no idea what I was doing. I just kind of saw someone on a forum uh, selling web hosting. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let me try that. So did that. Uh, that was kind of the first experience I had doing my own thing and I loved it. And, but most recently I was, I tried a couple of things in college. What actually got some traction was something called Skylight and Skylight was like a Tinder for apartments. So we we're just connecting renters and agents or sublessors and whatever it was. Anyway, so with Skylight, we were, I raised half a million dollars from folks such as Tim Draper who invested in SpaceX and Tesla and a bunch of big names from Mark Benioff, who's the founder of, of Salesforce. And built that company up over two years. That company was acquired by a company called Common, which is now the largest co-living operator in the U.S. So they rent by the bedroom instead of the apartment. Uh, and I joined Common. I was director of growth. I was their first marketing hire. And I helped build Common build out their entire marketing organization, like the initial stages of it. And after a year, I left to do my own thing. And that's, and that's what brought together for Juice. Yeah, that's an awesome, crazy story over there. Lots of... Uh different things. And I, I wish we could probably do a whole podcast, I think, on, on your whole background experience and everything that you've done over there. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Juice as well and, and kind of like getting started and, and growing the business out. Like, what was what was your plan when you jumped in, when you and uh, Mike jumped into Juice? Like, what was the plan there around building the agency and, and what kind of made you really want to get started and, and work on that as your next project? Yeah, I mean, we... I mean, I'm speaking for both of us, I think, on this. We never thought we'd be in the agency world. Nope. We just kept getting messages for consulting over the years. I've always turned it down. I know Mike has as well. And again, like I was mentioning earlier, is just that we worked with so many agencies over the years, whether it was like when I was at BuzzFeed, when Mike was at Common or running our own things, that we just saw a big gap in the market of the agency side of people that actually understood to grow brands rather than just growing ad spends. Because the... Like an agency is great at driving traffic, but once traffic is sent to your site, like actually converting that traffic and turning into customers, whatever your end goal is, is a whole different animal. So like, I think most people forget that the the objective of an ad is to get someone off of a platform, not to actually get this whole sale completed. That part is where the agencies kind of like mostly leave it off to the client and be like, all right, this is up to you from here on. But for us, like we take ownership over the full funnel not just the ads themselves, but the entire length of the business, the funnel of what happens from the first time someone sees an ad 
to the point where they're deciding to become a customer or not, and how can we always be improving that process? So that was kind of like the thesis throwing the juice that we went in with is like, how could we actually make a drastic impact on these businesses rather than just having minor impacts on the ad side and driving a little more traffic? Yeah, no, thanks for, for, for diving into that over there. And, you know, talking about the customers that you work with and the brands that you work with, talk to us about kind of what's the difference over there in, in terms of maybe like the typical agency process versus what Juice does and even like how you are onboarding these customers. Like what is kind of like the focus over there and, and the customers that you look at to work with? Sure. Well, the traditional agency approach is much more isolated where folks are either focused on just ads or just one component, like either the media buying or whatever it is. And what we found is that in the modern D2C world, that just doesn't work. And the biggest differentiator that we've started with and that we've continued with is looking at the full funnel. So the most important thing for us is not to just consider the ads, but what are the, what's the messaging? What's the landing page? What does the actual messaging say across the board? And then end to end, um, how do we integrate that into the customer experience? And then how do we use that to drive more sales and actually build the business? Yeah, for sure. And so talking about that as well, in terms of focus, I guess, you know, you mentioned that a lot of agencies will just focus on ads and getting you that traffic. And it's kind of like, you've got to figure it out after that. So I guess, and maybe this might be a little bit of a loaded question, but I'm assuming you're focusing on some of those brand things first, right? Like the products that they're selling and maybe the way that they're converting that traffic that they get over there kind of first before really focusing and turning on like the ads machine. Is that correct? Or I'd love if you could dive into that process as well. No, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, before we do anything, we always look at conversion rate and then we run a conversion rate optimization audit. Because everything at the end of the day is like, it's not just getting the traffic. It's not just getting eyeballs or folks on the website. It's what are those folks seeing? What are they thinking? What's getting them excited about the product or offer? And then how do we actually maximize the chance that they'll want to go and buy? And that's the idea is, is how do we tee this up for success? How do, we, how do we take the brand and ensure that whatever the messaging is, like for certain brands, we will consider a long form landing page. For certain brands, it's really how do we put the product in front of the right people because the product in and of itself resonates. It's like, how much context, how much education do you have to do? There are all these questions that have to be asked to build an actual marketing machine. So for us, it's like, hey, uh, you want to sell X? Cool. So let's work backwards to how do we actually sell that? What is that going to take? Who's the correct buyer? Who's the correct target demo? Are there multiple demographics? And if there are, like, how do we reach each one? What's the best channel? So a lot of it becomes strategic, strategic advising. To be, you know, The crazy part is we've advised our clients on on pricing strategy, on business model, on sourcing strategy, all the like random things, hiring. fulfillment, hiring, like such random things that, I mean, yes, we're a digital marketing agency, but we've succeeded because we're, we're thinking about the business from a partnership perspective rather than just buying media. Yeah, we really take, like when we start working with brands, like as Mike was saying, we do like an, an audit from the conversion side, like we have a full 60 point checklist for all of our clients we're getting started. But even before that, we qualify our clients before we even decide to work with them. Like we're not going to, have to work with just any client. We really want to work with clients that we truly believe we can have an impact on their business and really grow them. Like we don't typically work like drop shipping stores, for example, like anything that any like fly by not outside of fly by night, but like kind of fatty kind of like fatty products like FAD. We try to work with brands that we have long-term partnerships with and really grow them. 
and like I said, have a real impact on their business. And they think we can really grow with them. We don't take on too many clients. We try to only take on the clients that we really believe in. So we thankfully we have, you know, at least 10 people coming to like brands on a daily basis asking to work with us. Whether all of them qualify work with us, another story, but we're very careful about who we work with to make sure that we can have that impact. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are really invested in the customer success. And so one part I find really interesting is that, Troy, you seem to have like back-to-back hits with viral websites, you know, each one of them with hundreds of thousands of users and visitors. And I believe you also got, you guys also have an arm where you develop the websites for Shopify or big covers for your own customers as well. So I believe that's a unique edge because it's not just PPC or the traditional marketing, but also the customer experience. And as I mentioned, you guys are involved with them in the process and also help there. Can you explain how you guys use that as a unique competitive edge? Yeah, we uh, so our partner, David, uh, launched an agency with us called Peachy, which is a sister agency for Juice, obviously with the fruit theme, Juice Peachy. And uh, we built out a full development team, a lot of times, like mostly focusing on the Shopify experiences because we always, we're giving those conversion optimization tactics to our clients, but now we need to actually apply them. A lot of them have in-house design and development teams, but if they don't, we want to make sure that they can still come to us and we can implement these changes to always be improving their conversion rate and getting a better user experience, which in turn, of course, increases their overall revenue. So we launched Peachy, uh, which is now a 20-person development team while making these Shopify experiences, whether it's on the overall store or specific landing pages talking about specific use cases and customer personas as we're building them out to always be improving that customer experience. So it's not just building that out. It's also probably expanding into conversion optimization as well. Exactly. And that comes down to A-B testing, landing page development, or just optimizations across the board in general. Yeah. And I know one of the things that you talked about too is everything that you've helped brands with in terms of growing and things like that. So you know, just after having running so many experiments and having so many checklists and kind of knowing that process for different brands, what have you kind of seen, like, I guess for those listeners that are looking for tactical advice, like, hey, what can I do? I'm listening to Mike and Troy, and I want to have something to, to do to work and grow my brand. What are the top three things that you see really help to, to drive the needle on either the growth side or the retention side, um, but really ultimately rolling up to, you know, brand revenue growth. Sure. A big undervalued channel that we're seeing right now is email and SMS. I mean, depending on the size of the brand and depending on where the brand is in its life cycle, a lot of brands wait too long to turn on email and SMS. And our internal target is at least 30, 35% of revenue for brands to come from their own owned channels. So especially if it's a product that has repeat purchases, um, it makes perfect sense. So it's really just thinking about it holistically and, and not expecting things from a channel that you shouldn't. Um, a second example, for example, a common mistake that we see is just confusing how people or how users are, are operating on Google and Facebook. So for example, on Google, if you work backwards, folks there have a very, very high intent. So because they're Googling something, they're predisposed to be super open to it. They're already seeking it out. So you should be seeing a higher conversion rate. Your copy should be more on the nose, more literal, more direct, like a direct call to action. Whereas on Facebook, it's typically you're trying to identify the right people to just put your message in front of and prompt them to take action. So those are two completely different scenarios, contexts, et cetera, Facebook, Instagram. So it's important that on Instagram or on Facebook, 
the message is really there to draw them in. Whereas Google, the message is more so to close them. And Mike, I know that, you know, SMS is blowing up and, you know, every brand is told, hey, you have to be an SMS. So every brand's like, all right, we're going to add SMS. But what they do is the copy to their customers is mostly just discounts and offers and things like that. And there's no relationship building. It seems like, you know, that's something that's really early in the space and it could actually hurt the brand instead of helping them out. So do you have any tips for, you know, a brand that's looking to dip their toes into SMS and, and what approach to take there to not make that mistake? I just want to jump in there for a second and just say that actually, as I literally was going to talk about, so I have to think when you were like, I interrupted you, is that the relationship people have with SMS and just retargeting in general is to throw coupons at their either people that didn't check out or previous customers. That's not a relationship. That's just like begging for money all the time. When they see your name pop up, they're just not going to be excited to see it. First of all, the importance of customer service to actually develop those relationships with uh, the end consumer of your product. And also like on the retargeting side or email side, like on top of that, like you don't always have to throw coupons at people. If people are at different stages of the funnel, if they just saw your site and maybe didn't reach checkout or get that far, just maybe reinforce value prop, like reinforce why it's a great product. Show people enjoying your product. Show some social proof, whether that's press, testimonials, uh, influencers, whatever it may be. Just show that it's a legitimate product that people are actually buying and enjoying. And then also like developments that you have in place, like a new product coming out or things that you're working on, like whatever it is, make them feel like they're part of the company rather than just like you asking them for money all the time. Give value. I mean, it's such a simple premise, but for whatever reason, people get caught up in the details of it. Just give value. Every single industry is going to be different. Like if you're in the beauty industry, there's like you can give tips, you can share the best YouTube videos. It doesn't have to be your content, but just act as a curator. But as a brand, whatever you can do to actually help your consumer and help your customer, they'll appreciate it. So think about all the ways you can give value because over time, it's what you want to build that relationship with the customer because that's the only way to survive. Like paying a bunch of money on CPA to just buy customers one off, it gets really expensive. So nowadays, it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher. Like this were four or five years ago and Facebook were really cheap. It's super easy. But nowadays, it's incredibly important to, to look for ways to build that relationship so that over time, you can transition away from paying for each customer every single time. Yeah, it's always cheaper to retain a customer than find a new one. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast. And look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. One more question on that. Based on what you mentioned, it seems like, you know, this is along the lines of community and treating your customers as a community. Do you suggest brands to just have a person that's dedicated to that, especially in the early stages? Or is this something the founder should do knowing uh, their customers best? And if so, if you need a community person, what are you know some tips to, to find the right person to do that? Because as we mentioned, if you do all this wrong from the get-go, it's going to be even more work to kind of turn it around. Yeah, I think in the early stages that there's that it's very important actually for a founder to actually be doing that, especially at a small smaller company. Mostly because it's your best form of feedback loop. It's you're talking to your customers, like, like not only just get them retained, but actually get their feedback and what could have made a better buying experience, what could make a better product, 
and have their buy-in just that constant feedback loop. So you're just in the know with your your customers. And there's lots of different ways to do that, whether it's over email, we've had clients do it very successfully over Facebook groups. Uh, It really depends. So like whatever platform is best for you, you know, a Telegram group, Discord, whatever makes sense for you. But having that line of communication with your customers, one, like, of course, again, like I said, that feedback loop, but two, makes them feel really special and bought in that they're going to become the loyal customer of yours for life because they're talking directly to the founder that wants their feedback and their opinion. And then later then, of course, you can start hiring for the roles to actually have management and uh, have the daily communication in there with them. But and then early stages, I think it's super important for a founder to do that. Yeah, that, that totally makes a lot of sense. So I know, you know, we've talked a lot about tactical tips for for founders and businesses and brands to to really like fix some of those those leaks and, and things areas to kind of focus on too. I kind of want to shift gears too as we're coming to the second half of the podcast over here. I know one of the things that that we talked about earlier, I know we were on a call chatting about uh, things to talk about on the podcast. You both have a fund coming out pretty soon. Can you share a little bit more about that? You know, that's that's really interesting. We don't see very many agencies have a fund in this space and so obviously you both are really trying to put your your money where your mouth is on, on that. So can you share a little bit more on uh, you know, what your plan is and, and what you have planned over there? Sure. So on the fund side, Troy and I actually joined a venture fund for a fund to raise $30 million. And the fund is separate from the agency, but we are bringing in a ton and we're making a ton of D2C investments. So Troy can mention some of the companies that we've invested in so far, but we're looking at D2C, we're looking at pretty most industries, if not every industry. I'm looking at fintech right now, we're looking at D2C, but we are actively investing in this space. Now the fund has certain requirements because not all D2C companies are going to be large billion dollar, hundred million dollar companies and many founders and everyone's okay with that. But in our case, it is really important um, for the fund that, that we're investing in companies that have really large scale potential. Yeah, just to add that, yeah, we uh, we already have some investments secured uh, within the fund. You know, we just are launching. We already have two investments already secured, one being Ugly, which is a sparkling drink uh, seltzer company, and Jambies, which is basically like underwear, like clothing to wear around the house, like the opposite, opposite of athletic wear, like leisure wear, I think they, what they really call themselves. Great market. Both, both companies, super passionate founders, really excited about both of them getting great uh, retail distribution and uh, just growing very quickly D2C. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leading up the D2C and MarTech um, investments with Mike over at uh, Magic. So really excited to see all these companies emerging, coming out, and then how we can fund them and support them. And from the fund side, it's exciting because obviously we have years of experience on the growth side, on strategy and operations and anything across the board in D2C. So it could really be value add to the, the founders and not just money in, but actually provide value on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's that's great. Is there any uh, specific niche that uh, you both are looking to focus in on over there or it's uh, really some other characteristics that you're looking for for the brands that you're looking to to invest in? I mean, I'm really, I was looking mostly for really interesting D2C and MarTech companies. Like Mike was touching SMS earlier, like always interested in stuff in that space. Anything that makes for better customer experience, customer acquisition, of course, is always super interesting. Pretty broad across D2C and MarTech. Uh, wherever we just see really passionate founders that we truly believe in. And of course, that high upside for everyone. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes a lot of sense over there. And I guess just digging in... Uh, 
a, a little bit more. I know we have a lot of brands that that listen to the podcast and look for advice. You know, we don't speak to too many people that are on the, in, in the investing side of things. So as you're kind of like making those decisions on what to invest in, what other kind of characteristics do you usually look for in that space? Is it really just like the the great founder, the great story, solid acquisition? I think a lot of people that are listening as brands that are potentially interested in, in raising money might get some good information out of this um, in terms of the process over there. And maybe any advice that you have uh, for brands that are interested in raising money of, of what they can do and focus on to be in a position to potentially get investment. Sure. For me, I actually went through the fundraising process for my last company. So I did it the, the venture route and now we're actually writing checks. And it's interesting just seeing both sides of that equation and now being the investor and having a much better understanding of what investors are actually looking for is really helpful. So the primary thing and the first and foremost, it always starts with market. Is there an actual market for what you're doing? And is the market growing or can it be really big or is it really big? So like, And the market is a prereq because you can't really force a market. You can advertise things and you can create the best product ever. But if there's no demand, if people don't want what you have or what you're selling, there's no way to force that. Uh, no amount of marketing dollars will, will force it. Now, another thing is, is also size. So a big thing, for example, we, because we focus on venture investments, it's really important that companies can go, they can 10x, 20x, 100x. So we have to see a very, very, very rapid growth trajectory and a very high growth potential. So that high growth potential needs to show, whether it's us or other investors, that you can go from being a small company today and then get really, really big very quickly. Yeah, showing that roadmap is super important and make painting a clear picture of how big this comp- the company can get to get the, obviously, hit venture economics to make it for, for the investor, make it exciting for them and really establishing yourself as you're the person to do it and why you're that person and what kind of unfair advantage you have or what kind of unique angles you have that distinguishes you from everyone else. Yeah, so once the market's established, once the fact that it can get really big is established, and then you have to prove that you're you're the person to do it. You're like, what about your background? What unique insight do you have? Why is the world different today? How did you discover that unique difference? And then how are you going to take advantage of it? What's going to uniquely set you up to succeed? Yeah, that's some great advice over there. And I think uh, you know all the brands that are listening in can definitely find value over there. I know we're we're slowly coming to the end of the podcast over here. I think I've (laughs) asked a lot of things and we've hit on a lot of topics over here. I'll pass it over to you, Ramon. If you have anything else you want to ask uh, Mike and Troy while we've got them on here. Yeah, no, I'm really excited for the bet you guys are making in the space with, uh, you know, the fun. And it seems like you guys have had a trajectory of always making big bets. I mean, Troy started out with buying the, the shoe factory and, you know, that's a pretty big bet from the beginning. So I'm sure it, it hasn't always just been, you know, uh, rainbows in, in a straight up trajectory. So from the mistakes that you have had throughout your journey, you know, what kind of tips would you give to entrepreneurs for, you know, how to learn from their mistakes and, and avoid those in the future? Yeah, I mean, that's a super important uh, thing to, to grasp and understand because it's funny because like I, you, like I asked some podcasts basically like what's the biggest thing you like you tell entrepreneurs like or biggest key learning for them and actually you touched on it right there was really learning from your failures 
and how to actually learn from them. Like it's one, it's a, like everyone talks about like, you know, don't be afraid to fail, fail fast, all that. But how do, how do you actually learn from them? So most people just like a lot of time to say like, all right, I failed. Like I'm going to be okay with it because I was taught to be okay with failure, but not actually have a postmortem actually learn how you failed or what went wrong and actually figure that out is like a crucial part of that of a failure. Like there's fail, like it's okay to fail. Yes. But it's not okay to fail and not learn from it. So like for me, like I, if I have a failure, I really internalize like one, how it feels on a, like on a personal, but how I feel about it, like to make sure like to remind, like this is actually my mom taught me when I was younger when I messed up in school. She's like, remember how you feel right now. And you never want to feel like that again. And actually I take that away to like in, in business, like in anything, I have a failure. I remember how I feel and I don't want to have that feeling again. And that encourages me to actually do that postmortem and learn more from it. So I don't get into that same path, go down the same path again. But long story short to get back is that a postmortem of failure to actually understand what led to that failure and how you can avoid it or course correct next time. That's it for me, Jay. Uh, I'll pass it back to you if you have any final questions. Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing else for me. Um, but as we kind of wrap up over here, I think uh, one question we always like to ask is, uh, you know, what's next for Juice? You've obviously got the fun coming up. What else are you both working on? And uh, uh, where can people learn more about um, Juice? Yeah, next for Juice is we're continuing to grow. As Michael said, like email and SMS is a big thing. We're, we're seeing more and more. We're really doubling down on that front. Uh, we're always looking to expand channels. Teams been growing. Clients are happy. Everything's going great. We just want to keep that momentum going. Uh, as far as finding out more about Juice, we have a site, just thinkjuice.com. Uh, for myself, my Twitter's at Yo. If you ever want to see any, any interesting news pop up on the Twitters. And Mike, on the side. Uh, yeah, my Twitter's a little complicated, so just, just find me on Twitter. We'll add it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do some research and figure that out. Well, Mike and Troy, it's been awesome having you on the, the podcast over here. Just super fun getting to talk to both of you, especially with the background that you both have, building businesses, scaling businesses, all of that good stuff. I think we'll all be keeping an eye on that and uh, learning from from everything you're sharing uh, and continue to share over there. Thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the DTC pod, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe and, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us, Mike and Troy. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Jay. Thanks, Ramon. Thanks, guys. All right. Awesome.